Good morning, everyone. I am so glad that you guys are all here and that we get to worship together today. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jonathan Rickert. And if it's your first time here uh, worshiping with us in this new setting, just to let you know about some things, the restrooms are right over here. We also have some um, coloring pages for kids and our offering bucket as well as connection cards are right over here where the coloring pages are. Now, whether you're watching on our live stream or are here this morning, there's an important website for you to go to, and that is www.civalhambra.com slash Sunday. And that's important because that has all the lyrics to our songs this morning. It also has our sermon notes and a digital connection card that you can use. So again, that's www.civalhambra.com slash Sundays. So whether you're here or live, that's good to know. Um, now, we actually have something really special that we get to do today, something very exciting, is that uh, we get to be a part of sending off Barry and Holly. If you guys can go ahead and come up, up. this Barry and Holly Rogers. Um, yes. And Caleb. I can't forget Caleb as well. So... Barry and Holly, for those of you who do not know, are taking part in a church plant. Um, they are going out with uh, Bruce and Aaron Wood and a team from Orange Crest Community Church and from the 17th Sixth Network to plant a brand new church, um, Valley Lights Church, in the Santa Clarita area. And so, you know, this is a great time that we get to be a part of sending them out. Um, Bruce, if you and your team can go ahead and just wave their hands. So some of their team is here this morning. And so for all of you guys who are here, if you have any questions about church planning, great resource. So you can go and talk with them and just go and find out about everything that they're doing. And again, this is really exciting, not because we want to get rid of Barry and Holly, but because, you know, we have the opportunity of being a part of them taking their next step and following God and really going out to reach people who don't know Jesus and tell them about who Jesus is and raise up disciples. So to start off with, Barry's going to let us know a little bit more about the church plant and how we can be praying for them. Thank you, John. Um, <clears throat> so prior to COVID, this is a, I'm, I'm just excited that we get this opportunity to, to say anything to you guys today. Uh, before uh, COVID, we knew we were going to be heading out and um, I just got this, you know, awful feeling that we weren't going to be able to say hey or shake somebody's hand or I mean, we still might not be able to do that either. Uh, but it's just, I, I wanted to say first before anything, thank you guys. This, um, sorry, I, I cried during both opening songs. I don't know why I wouldn't cry again. Um, uh, I moved here in 2009 and um, Church in the Valley has been such a huge part of my life in development and um Anyway, I just wanted to say thank you guys for friendship. Thank you for opening your home to me during holidays, opening, um, you know, your life to Holly as, uh, as we got married and she moved out here, and uh, Caleb for the short time we've been able to. Uh, but thank you guys. Honestly, this has been such a cool picture of what church is supposed to be. So many people have so many jacked up views of what church is and um, the love here and People that have loved me enough to say you're wrong, um, it's a beautiful thing. So that's really what we want to do in Santa Clarita is bring that same message um, to another part of our city, to another part of our county. And um, uh, 
we've seen God kind of calling us towards this over the last uh, year. Um, when Bruce first told me that, uh, that he felt like God was calling him to launch out of church, that was something I started to kind of pray for just because I've, I've seen what God's done in Bruce's life. And um, I was excited to see maybe if that was something that God uh, would have for us. And it's really weird. We moved June 6th. So now that we actually live there, it is a really, really weird thing. When you step out on faith and then your feet are actually planted in the place uh, that you were praying towards and kind of dreaming about. And um, really, honestly, what it means that we're going out to plant a church is basically we're going to meet people. We're going to connect people. Same things that all you guys are doing with your neighbors um, there'll definitely be some uh, some intentional surveying and uh, putting yourself out there in a way that maybe maybe I, I don't always do, but um, we're looking to uh, to open up a church and start a church uh, for people that don't know Christ yet. So uh, you know we're not looking to gather up all the Christians in Santa Clarita. There are some, you know, crazy enough. We live in America, uh, but we're looking for the. 200,000 or so people that don't know Christ yet in that area that, um, and, and we want them to experience what we've experienced here. And, um, again, it's exciting to kind of be moving into the season of launching out. Um, I mean, much like when we started this campus, when we left, uh, Diamond Bar, you know, I still sometimes get sad when I think about the people in Diamond Bar or Ontario Ranch now that I don't get to see as much anymore, but it was worth coming out here so that people that, um, you know, live in this area that haven't, aren't connected to a church, haven't, haven't experienced what Christ has done in our life, um, have gotten experience through this church. So anyway, we're just really excited uh, to have this opportunity to to just worship with everyone today. And um, so I know some people have asked us, you know, how can you be praying for us or how how can you help out? One is just uh, pray for our team. Um, You know, we do have an enemy that we don't maybe talk about nearly enough probably sometimes that is trying to oppose us. So we could use prayer for that. We could use prayer for connecting with people. Uh, There are people that God has been working on for years that we're going to be able to reap the benefit of sharing Christ and seeing them come to Christ. Um, But there's also people that we're still trying, you know, we're we're just now starting to meet our neighbors. We've lived there for a week and a half now. So uh, we're meeting people uh, daily and uh, we, you know, we want to be able to share Christ with them and, um, and uh, see who God's been preparing in this community. So that's one way you could be prepare, uh, praying. Um, you know, church planning or starting a church or even running a church is can be an expensive thing. So be praying for financing for our team, for Bruce and Aaron. And uh, John actually is over there. Wave, John. Other guys, we could use prayer for our whole team. Um, and then obviously there will be opportunities and stuff in the fall when we start doing uh, monthly preview services and weekly services uh, for people to help out. So uh, those are some ways. And, um, again, I just appreciate everyone here. And it is Father's Day, so I have to say my in-laws are here too. And I know my mom and dad are watching online from Louisiana, and I'm just so thankful that you guys set the pace for us uh, in seeing the value of church. And, um, again, I wouldn't be part of this great church and we wouldn't be launching out this church if it wasn't for y'all's sacrifice. So we're so thankful and uh, glad to be here today. Thank you, guys. Stay up here. Don't leave. Um, yes, I'm remiss. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. <laughs> um, so one of the things that we want to do this morning is not just hear about what Barry and Holly are going to do, but also to honor them. Um, I mean, many of you guys know this, but Barry and Holly have truly sacrificed for us and for our church over the years. Um, you know, Barry talked about coming out in 2009 and 
in 2013 when we planted this campus, he came out here as well and just has served faithfully um, in so many areas. And, and faithfulness really is the word to describe Barry and Holly in that they really want to be a part of moving the kingdom of God forward and really and just blessing people and really meeting people wherever they're at and taking them to knowing God better. I mean, they, they've been a part of, of leading groups, leading teams, leading events. Um, and two years ago when Holly and Barry got married, Holly jumped right in and just, you know, really joined our church, joined our family out here and really just stepped right in to serve. And so again, just a real picture of faithfulness, of love, of sacrificing themselves for the benefit of others. You know, one thing that always stands out to me is Barry used to own a truck, which meant that he was a part of almost every single move in the church, that anytime we needed to move heavy things, he was one of the guys that got called. He was just on constant call, constantly driving around because he had a truck and because he was willing, because he knew that that was a way that he could serve. And so we just want to thank you guys so much for everything that you've done. We're really excited for this next chapter. And where normally we would be giving them hugs and we'd be having, you know, desserts and treats, we can't do any of that right now. So instead, please join me in just giving them a big round of applause for everything that they have done. Thank you guys so much. Um, And the last thing we want to do is we really just want to pray over Barry and Holly. And just as God takes them this step, Neil, if you could go ahead and come up. Um, Neil's going to go ahead and and pray for us as a church. Just again, as we want to come together to send you guys out and really are just excited for what God is going to be doing in you and through you in this next phase of life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Barry and Holly. Thank you for how you've guided them. Uh, Father, you've said in your word, uh, you will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it whenever you turn to the right or to the left. So we want to pray that for them. We want to pray that uh, they will continue to uh, hear your voice, to listen to it, to obey it, that they would really step into the things that you have there for them. And, Father, we really pray uh, for the church as it's beginning to start up. We pray for your protection over it. We acknowledge that you are the one who uh, provides. You're the one who protects. And we really uh, desire that you would really watch over them. You would watch over the entire church. You would help them to, uh, to launch things well, that they would really be wise in how they relate to those that are around them, and that they would see many people come to know you, they would see many people, more importantly, Father, even to grow up in you and learn to reproduce. And so, Father, thank you for what you're going to be doing in their lives and through their lives. Really, uh, Father, pray that you would encourage their hearts today with, uh, with uh, all that you um, have been doing in their lives and pray that you would encourage them with all that they mean to this congregation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I didn't see that. <laughs> um, so if, you, if you're not here, we, well, I encourage everyone to go up to Barry and Holly after service and just encourage them. Um, and if you're not here, I don't think they'll mind you reaching out to them as well. Um, 
And so now we're going to have Adam come back up, and he's going to continue sharing with us out of Philippians. So come on up, Adam. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to grab this stand. Thank you, Vincent and the worship team and uh, Barry and Holly. That was awesome, guys. Thank you. That was a really helpful presentation. And Caleb, good job, man. Nailed it. Well, we're coming to the end of our study in the book of Philippians. And today the message is going to be on contentment. And the title of the message is The Secret to Contentment. So if you're somebody who likes secrets and figuring things out, hopefully this will be helpful. So turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4, we're going to be looking at 10, verse 10 through the end of the chapter, 10 through 23. And this is an interesting passage because it contains two verses you know, you love, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me in verse 13 and my God shall supply for all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus in verse 19. You know those verses, you know, you maybe have them hanging on the wall or on a cup or something. And what I hope to accomplish this morning is for you to understand those verses in a even deeper, richer way as they relate to this topic of contentment. So as we read, think about that subject, contentment because that's what we're going to be talking about. So I'll read, and then uh, I'll pray, and we'll get going. So verse 10, Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, it is Father's Day and we are thankful for our fathers who, as was just previously said by Barry, set a pace. And I, I praise you for those of us who've had that experience. But God, I'm aware that some are here today that didn't have that experience. But for all of us, you are a faithful father to those who have come through Jesus Christ. And I pray that everyone here would have that experience. I pray, God, that we would delight this morning knowing that you are not just our God, our Savior, our Creator, our Redeemer, you are our father. You love us tenderly. You care for us faithfully. God, would you just encourage each person here through these words, through the words of the Bible, your word. I pray, God, that you give me the ability to speak clearly and faithfully on this subject and on this text. In Christ's name, amen. 
Well, in our family, I, I've mentioned this before. We have four children, and we like the movie Char- Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I'm assuming a lot of you have seen that movie. Whether you've seen the the, the older version of the movie or the newer version, or you're one of these people that actually reads the book, good. You know the character of Veruca Salt. And Veruca Salt is the girl that you'll remember. She just, she has to have whatever she sees. So she sees a horse, she must have the horse. She, she sees a squirrel, she wants the squirrel. She is just totally, constantly in need of what she doesn't have. And also she's just sort of mean and nasty and controlling. But Veruca Salt is sort of this character that represents discontentment. She's just not content with what she has. And the reality is all of us, you know, you watch that movie and you go, oh, what a brat. But all of us can be a bit like Veruca Salt from time to time. More often than we care to admit, we must have what we see. And unless we have what we want, we're unhappy. We want more. We lack thankfulness. We get bitter, we get resentful, we get covetous, we're willing to control in order to get what we want. Martin Luther says that dissatisfaction is a very common plague. Dissatisfaction is a very common plague. But the reality is this passage tells us God loves us as his children too much to let us live our lives like Veruca Salt. He will work in us to change us. Luther's right, it is a common plague, but it is not uncurable. There is a cure for the disease of discontentment. And, and this message really tells us the secret of contentment. And by the way, when, the, when Paul calls it a secret, it's not that God doesn't want us to know. It's not that God is mean. It's that man is stubborn. That's why it's a secret. It's a secret because we won't see what's in front of us. That's the problem. So we're going to look at the secret of contentment. Now, I want to make two sort of points before we get into what I want to say about the secret of contentment. The first thing I want to say is that contentment, what I mean by contentment is peace and joy with where God has you and with what God has given you. It's important to define terms. Contentment means peace and joy with where God has you and with what God has given you. So when I use the word contentment, that's what I mean. And I think that's what Paul means. I think that's clear in the text. We've seen in the book of Philippians, Paul talks a lot about joy and thanksgiving. And the Christian life for Paul is not drudgery and misery. It's joy and it's thanksgiving and it's vibrant. As Jesus said, it's life to the fullest. Now, I must say that sometimes in life we lack contentment. We lack peace and joy with what God has given us and where we're at because we are living in ways that go against God's will. And so if you are living in ways that go against God's word and God's will, you will lack peace and contentment. And what God requires of us in those circumstances is that we turn away from those sinful patterns, what the Bible calls repentance, and that we align ourselves with God's word and with God's will through obedience to Christ. And the good news is if you're here this morning lacking peace and contentment because of some way that you're living, you can confess and turn to Christ and he will forgive you, and God will embrace you and restore that joy and peace, that contentment. But the second thing I want to say is that contentment, peace and joy with where God has you and what God has given you, is compatible with being ambitious and having drive. Being content is compatible 
with having ambition and drive insofar as while you are pursuing goals that align with God's word, you have peace and joy. If you're ambitious and you have drive in a way where you only have joy and peace, once you achieve what you get, that's not contentment. Contentment is having peace and joy while you're pursuing things that honor God. I hope that makes sense. But I want you to understand up front, there are people that lack peace and joy because they're living in sinful ways. That's not about contentment. That's about obedience. And I also don't want you to leave here today thinking, so contentment means I can't be ambitious and have drive. No, Paul has all kinds of goals. Having goals is compatible with being contentment. But while you're pursuing those goals, whether it's a degree or a job or whatever, do you have peace and joy in the process? So the secret of contentment. Let me say, first of all, the first thing I want you to see about the secret of contentment from this passage is that contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. It's learned behavior. Paul says this in verse 11, and he repeats it in verse 12. He says, I have learned. No one is naturally content. As sinners, we're discontent. Life unfolds in ways that we don't want, and our default setting, your default setting is to complain and to blame God and to blame others and to bicker. We have to learn contentment. That's why Paul says, I've learned contentment. And you might be here this morning and you don't have peace and joy with what God has given and where God has you because you've not been taught contentment. Maybe you learned discontentment. Maybe you were raised in a home that was just filled with discontentment and you'd shut the door and you just complained about everything. And that was just culture. That was life. And so what God has for you is an invitation to a better way of living. Well, how do you learn contentment? Well, the passage tells us you learn contentment through hardship. That's not what anybody likes to hear. Everybody would like to learn contentment some other way. We'd like to learn it by osmosis, just hanging out with content people. But the way you will learn contentment is by going through hardships. Now, I've mentioned this before, but Paul is writing this letter from prison. And it's not a nice prison. It's not a new prison. It's not a prison with amenities. This is a Roman prison. He is not provided for. That's why the church had to take care of him. And by the way, Paul wasn't in prison for anything he did that was wrong. He was guilty of no crime. He was a citizen. He's constantly appealing his case. He is being unjustly imprisoned. And yet, he is content. He is at peace and he has joy with where God has him and with what God has given him. He's learned to be content. He mentioned in in, in verses uh, 11, 12, and 16 that he is someone who has need. He has need. As Paul's writing this from prison, he's somebody who needs people to bring him food. He's someone who needs people to take care of him. If nobody does, he will waste away. Paul is nothing like the millionaire television preachers that fly around in first class and go on private jets and stay in five-star hotels. Don't misunderstand. Paul is living in a desperate situation, but he has learned to be content. How did he learn it? Through hardship. What kind of hardship? Hunger, persecution, beatings, imprisonment. You learn to be content through enduring hardships. Now, this should be good news this morning for everybody because everybody here has gone through something or is going through something or will go through something. Something hard, something uncomfortable, something challenging. 
something difficult. And whatever else God is doing through that, God is teaching you to be content. He is teaching your soul to rest in Christ alone. That's what Paul's telling us. We're not born content. We have to learn to be content. And it's God's spirit that teaches us how to be content. This is really important. Charles Spurgeon preached a sermon on this text a long time ago, and he called contentment a flower from heaven. It's a flower from heaven. Look, if you are able to have joy and peace wherever God has you with whatever God has given you, that fruit will be a heavenly fruit. It is a miraculous transformation in you to go from discontentment to contentment. So as you see contentment blossom in your life, it gives you confidence to say, God, is at work in me? Listen to what Spurgeon says about contentment. Listen to this. Spurgeon says, it will not grow in us by nature. It is the new nature alone that can produce it. And even then, we must be specially careful and watchful that we maintain and cultivate the grace which God has sown in it. All of us would rather have contentment without the hardships and without the trials, but that's not how God works. You might want to jot down James 1. James says something very similar when James says that it's through trials that God matures and completes his good work in us. So earlier in Philippians, when when Paul reminds us that Jesus will finish what he started, the means by which he will do that often involve hardships. Not because God is mean, but because we're his children and he loves us too much to let us turn into little Veruca salts filled with bitterness and discontentment. So when you go through hardships, be mindful God is teaching me contentment. So that's the first thing. Number two, the second point is that contentment is about who you know, not what you have. Contentment is about who you know, not what you have. The wrong way to deal with discontentment is by thinking, I just got to get that raise. I just got to get that degree. I just got to get that job. I just got to get that car. I just got to, you know, get that relationship. I got to get that, you know, health status, whatever it is. And once I get that, then it'll all be cool. It won't. You know what a mirage is? A mirage is something in the desert that's sort of an optical illusion. You're thirsty. You think you see water. You go towards the water, but there's nothing there. It's just more sand, more heat, more desert. There is no contentment by just chasing what you think you need to be happy because that's not how it works. We're created to be happy in God, not happy in things. This whole passage is a testimony to Paul's relationship with Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 10. Paul says, I rejoice in the Lord. So having joy and having peace with where God has you and with what God has given you is about knowing Jesus, verses 18 and 20, the Philippians gave Paul this gift. That's the story of Paul's letter to the Philippians. They sent Epaphroditus, they sent a gift, and Paul is writing to them and basically saying, you are my favorite church in the world. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's basically the point. And in the process, he's reminding them that the gospel is what binds them together. But notice that what Paul says to them in verses 18 and 20 is that it was God supplying for him. God supplied for Paul. He used the church of Philippi, 
But it was God supplying for Paul. And God might use this church to, to provide for Barry and Holly, but it's God providing for Barry and Holly. And you might get a paycheck from your work, but ultimately it is God providing for you through your labor, through your company, but God is providing for you. And so when you receive that check or when you receive whatever provision you receive in life, what comes to the mouth of a person who knows Jesus is thank you, Jesus. You see, this is all about relationship. It's not about what you have. It's about who you know. Whether in riches or poverty, whether in safety or peril, Paul lived his life in relationship with God through Jesus because he trusted the good news about Jesus. Jesus to Paul wasn't just a miracle worker. He wasn't just a figure in in the past. He was his Lord and his Savior. And so, look, this kind of contentment does not come out of knowing facts about Jesus. Please understand what I'm saying. This kind of contentment comes out of knowing Jesus personally. Listen, and if you're here this morning and you're like, this kind of contentment has always eluded me. Well, ask yourself, have I come to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Do I know him personally? Am I walking with him intimately just like Paul was? See, here's the deal. The same spirit that lived in Paul lives in you if you're a believer. And the same spirit that comforted Paul in the prison comforts you in your house or in your cubicle or in your car or in the hospital, wherever you are, God is there to comfort you. Why? Because you have a relationship with him through faith in Jesus Christ. Contentment is not about what you have. It's about who you know. And here's what this means. This means that if everything is taken away from you, you still have Jesus. And even if you had nothing else, you could be totally content. And if that sounds like a paradox to you, that's because it is. That's why when Paul says to live is Christ, to die is gain, we quote that, but we stumble upon it because it challenges everything that we know in our modern society. So when Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it's an amazing verse. But he's not talking about flying to the moon. He's not talking about winning a Pulitzer Prize. He's talking about enduring hardships. You see, sometimes that verse is quoted by winners, people that are receiving an award. I can do all things for Christ. And on days when you're winning, this verse is for you. But remember, Paul is writing this from prison. This verse is most precious, not when you're up, but when you're down. There's nothing particularly supernatural about being willing to praise God when you're winning an award. I mean, you can understand why somebody would thank God when they're winning, What's supernatural is praising God when you're losing. What's supernatural is peace and joy with what God has given you and where God has you when you are unjustly placed in a prison like Paul was. And not bitter, but joyful and not angry, but thankful, that's supernatural. That's gonna make people go, tell me more about Jesus. This is not natural. So contentment is a secret. Contentment is about who you know, not what you have. And number three, and this third point doesn't really sound like it fits, but it's in the text. God will take care of his church. God will take care of his church. And I said this last week about God's so- his sovereignty and his providence. When, when you preach through a book of the Bible, sometimes things just fit that you didn't plan to fit. I did not plan for this third point or this passage 
I did not know Barry and Holly were going to be here and we were going to be essentially sending someone out this morning when I sort of outlined this book. But this third point fits perfectly with what the church has done this morning. God will take care of his church. In verses 19 and 20, it says, God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. And we often take this just as a personal promise, and it is for you. God will take care of you. But the you here is not singular, it's plural. And remember that Paul has received a gift from the church at Philippi, and he sent back Epaphroditus, and he hopes to send Timothy. And so so Paul is basically saying, you have been generous with me, and I'm being generous with you. And what we see is a pattern in the early church of the free exchange of people and goods in support of kingdom work. And so this is a promise to you. God is going to take care of you. But more specific to the text, God takes care of his church. It's the need of the church that Paul is talking about. He's speaking to the church. And the point here is that Jesus is building his church. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And when you read the book of Acts, what you're reading is evidence that Jesus is doing what he promised to do. And Paul is reminding the church Jesus is faithful to perfect and to finish what he started. In you and in us. So Paul is saying, here's the cool thing. God's going to take care of you, church in Philippi. God's going to take care of you, church in the valley, Alhambra, Santa Clarita. God's going to take care of our brothers and sisters south of the border, north of the border across the Pacific, across the Atlantic, and other continents. God takes care of his church. So here's the practical application of that truth. We don't have to be stingy. We can be generous with our money. We can be generous with our time. We can be generous with people. We can send people. We can give of our time. Because God's going to take care of us as a church. You see, a lot of churches sort of hoard and are stingy. But Paul is saying, look, Philippians, you're a church that sends, you're a church that gives, and it makes sense that you would do that because God's going to take care of your need. And notice what he says. um, Notice what he says in verse 19. Every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. God lacks nothing. And God makes sure that the church lacks nothing nothing. In the meantime, we can be generous. And so all of us every day, every day have to fight the temptation to lose peace and lose joy for the lack of what we don't have. And this passage is giving us the secret to contentment. You've got to learn it. You learn it through walking through hard times with Jesus. You learn it by having a vibrant relationship with Jesus where you know that he loves you and he's taking care of you and he loves you too much to let you continue in dissatisfaction. He's going to teach you how to be content. And that's what he's doing in your life through whatever you're going through. He's teaching you the secret of contentment so that together we as a church can be generous. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, and my prayer, God, is that if there's anyone here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that you would please, please give them faith to believe. Father, you love us too much to let us live in discontentment. You will take things away. You will put us in hardship. You will allow us to be pressed 
but not crushed. You will allow us, God, to face hardships, but you will also give us the grace to endure. God, I want to pray right now for anybody here that's going through a hardship where they feel pressed and they don't feel like they can make it. God, I pray that you would give them a strong reminder in their soul that you love them. Remind them by the cross and remind them by the empty tomb that Jesus Christ has begun something in them that he will finish. And God, I pray for all of our hearts that you would flood us with contentment, contentment in our marriages, contentment in our families, contentment in our finances, contentment in our homes, contentment with our cars, contentment with our children and our jobs. God, just in every way, would you teach us the secret of contentment? And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.